0: Welcome to Best Seat on the Couch, the podcast that is single-handedly solving Japan's declining birth rate. My name is Alex. I'm Iris? I'm Marcus. And I'm Michael. And today we are talking about the anime series Spy X Family. Directed by Kazuhiro Furuhashi and produced by Wit Studios, the series premiered in April 2020 consisting of 25 episodes, and is an adaptation of the manga of the same name by Tatsuya Endo. The story follows Twilight, a spy tasked with keeping the peace between two rival countries, Westalis and Ostania. Undaunted by life and death situations, Twilight finds himself at a loss when his latest mission requires him to build a family in order to get close to Donovan Desmond, the leader of the main political party in Ostania. Under the cover of Lloyd Forger, Twilight secures himself a daughter, Anya, and a wife, Yor Briar. Not realizing that Anya is a telepath, nor Yor is a professional assassin, with only Anya knowing the true identity of all three family members. The anime series was well-received, with critics praising the balance of espionage action and family moments, and has recently won Animation of the Year at the Tokyo Anime Awards Festival. Additionally, a second season and original theatrical film were announced to premiere in 2023, so we have that to look forward to. And as always, there will be spoilers. So... This is an anime series that I'm not bringing to you all because this week, Iris has brought this show, which is my part of my grand plan to bring more anime to this podcast by exposing my roommate to good anime so she can
1: bring it to uh, the podcast. So I you're mean, welcome. If you- If you think about it in a long-winded, roundabout, indirect kind of way, it is you bringing this anime to the podcast. It's just you're using me as like the medium to make that happen. Yes, exactly. Really, I should get another week after this one, if I'm being honest.
0: (laughs) Well, this series, um, as usual, with many of the anime that we bring to this podcast, I have read the manga for this series. I read it, uh, I think I started reading it, um, a year or two ago. It was on my recommendation list uh, just because it was making a lot of big waves in Japan. I think it outsold a lot of the more popular manga series at the time, just based on its popularity and its writing. I think it outsold uh, Demon Slayer and My Hero for a couple, a couple months or maybe even an entire year. And so I have currently caught up to the end of this manga. And so when the anime was announced, I was very, very excited to start watching it because I knew what to expect. I was really moved by the uh, family slice-of-life story that was happening in the manga, but also with a lot of the, like I described, espionage action that happens in this series, and like the entire style of the setting as well—the sort of Cold War era um, setting that they're in—and so when Spy X Family started premiering, I uh, extended my watch offer to Iris and asked if she wanted to watch uh, Spy X Family with me, and I will have to say that. This is a really good adaptation of this manga. I think that the manga it ha- itself is gorgeous. It's pretty much a one-to-one recreation of the manga uh, story-wise. There are a couple of anime-only scenes to pad for time, but it's pretty faithful to the story itself, but it adds a lot, especially in the direction and the music as well. I really do think the music uh, sort of captures this sort of nebulous era of uh, late 1970s, 1980s uh, jazz scene that was happening uh, around the world at that time. And so I really, really like this show, especially these early seasons uh, that Spy X Family is covering in the first season. Uh, I do have some things to say about the overarching story as uh, a manga-only reader, but I do want to get your opinions on this first season uh, as it stands right now. So what are y'all's first impressions and experiences with Spy X Family?
1: Well, you just uh, told all of our listeners exactly what my first introduction to the show was. Uh, I want to drive home the point that when Alex says this is very faithful, it's so faithful of an adaptation that we would start an episode and he would be like, oh, I know what this is about. Wait, they're doing that part? Wow, this is early. Oh man, you're going to love this bit. All without specifics, of course, but you know, it, it really was like one-to-one. Honestly, the only question was, you know, how far into the the arc would we get before we had to, you know, cut for the next episode. Uh, and I guess also the other piece of, you know, like, pulling back the curtain on our, on our lives, like, this show, right, for a long period of time, because most of the stuff that we watch together is stuff that we are going to be imminently talking about on this podcast in the next two or so weeks, uh, and for a long period of time, the only exceptions to that were The Owl House, as season two was airing, and this show, as it was airing, so, you know, it was our, it was our nice little, uh, weekly thing, um, I guess, you know, if we take a look at the the trends, right, the way to get me to, like, really, really love a show that does not have, like, complex and satisfying character arcs and, you know, like, a a, a much deeper plot that you might expect is just to make it cute as all hell. This show's adorable. I love, love, love their dynamics. And honestly, I, I ship... It's weird to say that I ship uh, Lloyd and Yor because, like, they're married, but, like, they're not actually dating. I, like, I'm rooting for them. I'm rooting for their relationship so hard. Um, they're adorable. I love them. Uh, and, yeah, it's just, it's a lot of fun. There's, I think, a a really special place it hits with, you know, very serious events being told through this very silly lens, right? Because at the core of it, it's like, you know, Cold War thriller, right? It's this super spy and the the deepest part of, you know, the enemy nation behind the theoretical iron curtain and, you know, play and counterplay and espionage. And the actual content of their episodes is like, you know, this this four-year-old girl made a bad sculpture in art class this morning, and now her friend is mad at her about it, <laughs> you know, or or I have to play a tennis match. And I have to prevent my coworker from getting into a grudge tennis match with my wife because my coworker, I think, wants to get with me. And anyway, it's it's like ridiculous and simple and adorable and just like very wholesome fun. Uh, I love the show. It's great. You should watch it.
2: Um, so, yeah, actually. So I started binging this show a few days ago, probably like three or four days ago. Um I really wanted to just get the whole sense of it, so I watched the whole thing. And um yeah, it's it's really good. Um what I really like about it is one, the comedy is very good. It's hilarious. And I, a lot of that comes from, as Iris said, the dynamics between the three family members, Lloyd, Yor, and Anya. But for me, the the sort of uh the shine to it is the fact that they're they none of them know who they really who everyone else really is except for Anya, of course. But like Anya has this perspective of a child where like she barely knows exactly what's going on either. So you get so many moments of like what they're saying and then what actually they're thinking, right? Which we can view and so can Anya that really put funny dialogue in front of us and like really funny scenarios about why they're doing this in the sense that it contextualizes a kind of couple family relationship, but in the context of like a spy and an assassin's life. So it's really cool how that works. Um, I think that there's also great moments when it comes to like when plot actually happens in this show It's very, very good. And I'll talk about that later. But a lot of the sort of slice of life stuff, especially in the second half of the first season, is kind of like it's there and it's there for like um, character expression and some small moments of character building. But when they get to like the the stuff that actually drives the plot forward, like the very beginning, the sort of very middle and the very end, it's like really, really good. So, yeah, I think the show is great.
3: Yeah, so, uh, I watched everything I was required to watch for this show, which was about two-thirds of it, uh, today. I binged it for, like, you know, eight hours straight, so you can tell that I have my life in control, and, uh, all that. But, uh, I was really enjoying, I was really enjoying just, uh, I think it, you know, it really draws you in those first couple episodes, uh, and, um, it's just a very enjoyable time to watch, uh, you know, most of the story, in, in a way, is told from the perspective of Anya. From, from the mind of a six-year-old. And I think that this is probably the most faithful adaptation of what a six-year-old is actually thinking most of the time that I've ever seen. Because it's it's straight hilarious. Like, a lot of times, Anya has, like, very short deadpan line deliveries, which are just fucking have me rolling. Like, they, they really did nail the comedy, as Michael said. And I was really enjoying it. And then, we got to the underground tennis match. Uh, which is the last couple episodes of season <laughs> oh, yeah. two. And this, this catapulted this show to fucking kill a kill <laughs> tier for me. Because I I was so... F- I, was, I was literally... I could not stop laughing as those episodes were going on. I was like, holy shit. It's like they just decided to take the training wheels off. Like, with just a couple episodes left in in part two. And just fucking go hog wild with it. And it was so funny the entire time. So... And then, and then that entire arc ends on what is, you know, we'll get to favorite scenes and stuff, but it's your completely and utterly decimating Nightfall with a single (laughs) tennis serve that's two tennis serves, actually, but I just, I was, I could not believe that I was watching the same show, honestly, like, I I mentioned, this this was some, like, kill-a-kill shit, and... It's honestly kind of weird how Kill a Kill also had a tennis match at, like in one of the early episodes where it was yep. about that crazy. We need to um, watch the
1: tennis anime. That's a great point. Yeah, like, like we just like string all the different also, like high under- underground tennis. Matches.
3: Underground tennis. What a fucking concept. It's not. It's not <laughs> even dog fighting. It's a fucking tennis match, so and these people are betting on it. They're like, holy shit, you
2: dumbass! You Their tennis have rackets her. have mods on it. That's
3: so yeah, sick. These, yeah, that's the coolest
1: part for me. Tennis, is like this fucking like custom, you know. Like, like the, the, the muscle and like, it's the, the strength tennis racket and the dexterity tennis racket. And
0: like some of the people are taking high
1: performance drugs (laughs) that like they
0: hulk out on.
1: It's 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 like they they got, they got people fucking taking, um, like venom from the DC universe. (laughs) Right. 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 And hulking out like Bane.
3: It was just unbelievable, and then when they revealed the snipers, I was—I just couldn't stop laughing. It was—it was way too funny. So, like this—this this was a good show that really ended on a great show note. But you know, Michael, you, you you said it well. Like there are kind of like very concrete points where the plot, you know, definitely takes its time to progress and like have something happen and stuff, so that we aren't just watching a slice of life comedy. And in those—in those moments. There's some really good character building for uh, for Lloyd, especially, uh, or I guess Twilight, and also Anya uh, whenever she's involved in those um, those conspiracies. So, it's a it's a wonderful show, and I'm glad to hear that we've got a movie and more seasons on the way because it's uh, it
1: was really really funny and really cute. I want to walk back to something you said right at the beginning of all that, which I think is a key point that you've hit on for why this show works. And it's that the portrayal of Anya as a four-year-old genuinely feels authentic right, the kind of thoughts she has, the adorable leaps of little kid logic that she makes, everything even down to the way she plays and the way she does her homework and the way she, you know, does make-believe and mispronounces words and has, you know, her own little kid obsessions, right, it's, it all feels so authentic, and she's such a huge part, not only of the plot of the show, but I'd say the heart of the show, right, you know, half of our time is spent following her, pretty much, and... I think it, it's it's hard for me to say in this moment like exactly what it is that makes it feel so authentic and so realistic, so believable. But I totally, I never once for a second have an issue believing that Anya is a four-year-old. And I think if they were to have gotten that wrong, the entire show would fall flat on its face.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a consideration. I think Anya does steal a lot of the shows, a lot of the episodes, at least. Um, but speaking of favorite moments and favorite characters, why don't we dive right into that? Um, and I think I've devised a new system for who gets to talk during these favorite We finally
1: episodes. are putting an end to the arguments once and for all. <laughs> uh,
0: so, from henceforth, whoever... Is bringing the show to the podcast. Starts us off for our favorite characters and favorite moments. So, Iris, as this is your show, please let us know what your favorite character and favorite moment is.
1: All right. It would be very easy for me to say Anya is my favorite character, and she kind of is, but we're going to talk a lot about Anya in this episode. And so I'm going to take a moment to highlight your. As being my favorite character. I love the absurd contradiction of this hyper capable, you know, beyond, like pushing the limits of human, like physicality, human possibility, assassin. And this well-meaning, doting, loving, kindly, but kind of bumbling and kind of uncoordinated, you know, housewife. Uh it's it's hilarious to me that this woman can just like you know drape on like a a slinky dress and like waltz into a hotel and murder like eight people with knives in her heels and then come home and like burn a bowl of burn a pot of soup you know like i honestly i think this woman could burn water it's amazing um she's hilarious as all hell i love that she doesn't understand her own strength because that's a great little character detail that leads us into so many delightful plot moments. And the entire time, right, my entire experience of watching the show, and Alex can confirm this, is just me waiting with bated breath, being like, please, please find out each other's secrets. (laughs) Lloyd and Yor, please figure it out, and then have like a big realization, and then start to work together, because, you know, you actually love each other for real. Um, I think... Uh, yours just delightful she's so much fun to watch she's so adorable and also terrifying and that's just a winning combination uh favorite moment actually is uh not going to be one of the many 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 comedic uh scenes and there are a lot of them my favorite moment is going to be the interview right in the beginning of the season to get into eden college uh where there's this one you know like dipshit asshole dude on the board of directors who's like i just got a divorce and i hate seeing this happy couple being happy so i'm gonna bully this literal child until she cries and obviously like we hate the guy obviously it's very easy to hate the guy but having anya turn it around and pull out this very genuine and very heartfelt a declaration of love for her parents, right? I mean, that's one of the huge themes of the show is like, is this family fake or real? Is this love fake or real? And for Anya, who knows the most about how everyone is lying to her and no one's telling the truth and all of it is about convenience, Anya is the one who pulls out this declaration of real and genuine love uh, for her, you know, air quote, parents. But like, no, actually her parents. Uh, it really is Anya that brings them together and makes this family work. And I think it was just a really beautiful moment and sets the scene a lot for what the values of the show are.
0: Uh, I can go next. Um, all right. So I, I I really do like that scene that you described. I think that was like one of the scenes that made me fall in love with the manga when I was first reading it. Just for all the points you were saying. Um, But I think for me personally, the scene that I have to choose is also a scene that is very close to the beginning of this series. It is Anya's first day at Eden College. Yeah. And... Her first interaction with um, Damien Desmond. This is my other choice. Who (laughs) was Donovan Desmond's son. And the whole time, Lloyd has been like drilling it into Anya's like, okay, don't make a scene. Don't like, just like, go to school. Don't make a scene. Try to be friends with uh, Damien, if you can, at the very beginning. Uh, And meanwhile, we've had this other scene where... We kind of see the danger of being an Eden College kid where we have this potential like kidnapping scene right before Anya's first day of school where you like has this moment. She's like, OK, I need to teach this. Uh, I need to teach my daughter how to defend herself. I'm going to give her some self-defense <laughs> lessons and all comes together in this wonderful scene where Anya is like sticking up for her new frown fa- friend Becky and standing up in the face of uh bullying from Damien and his little goonies and there's this like one moment where she you see like this like tiny bit of fire in her eyes and she like does a check behind her to see if uh, anyone's looking and then she immediately clocks Desmond across the face and I think one of the best animated short scenes in a while uh, in the series in the manga, it was a complete like two-page spread on like the page turn. And that just completely caught me off guard. Just based on like something I did not expect to happen right at the beginning. And I think it all ends on this like wonderful note where he says like uh you get uh, Anya's like stats are displayed and it says one Tonitris Bolt, zero Stellas, friendship with Damien, minus one <laughs> yeah. hundred.
1: <laughs> Listener, I want you to know that all three of the rest of us pantomimed the punch as Alex was talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh
0: but yeah, it's such a great like wrench to throw our characters into uh, right at the beginning of this manga. Such a great like amount of conflict that's believable since Anya is a kid. This is how kids settle disputes with uh, bare knuckle brawls on the in the playground. But in the whole context of this mission to. Uh, to get closer to this political figure. It is hilarious in that regard. Uh, As for my favorite character, I'm stuck between two. Um, And while I do love dogs, I will have to say, I don't think I can pick Bond just yet because he still hasn't shown his best best side of him. So in that case...
1: We I mean, there is plenty of case.
0: character to develop with the <laughs> I am going to have to go with the Elegant Master. Elegant! <laughs> <laughs> uh, Henry Henderson. Mr. Henderson. Anya's uh, teacher in Eden College. And, god, this band is hilarious. His entire character is based around, like, the single word elegant. And... Like the way he, I think his introduction scene is great. He's like trying to, so he's like he's like so forgers. How elegant are you when you uh, when you enter into our college? And they immediately do everything he wants them to. Do. He's like, how could this be? How are they so elegant? Um, but he also has this like genuine amount of care for his students that's uh, really charming and. We can see that in how he interacts with both Anya and Damien. How he like encourages them, how he respects their parents, how I think <laughs> I think um one of the funniest scenes he has uh is when Anya's like trying to share what her her dad does, and he, he's like, Well, my dad's a my dad's a doctor, and he And he helps people who are hurt in their mind. And Henderson's like, ah, yes, of course. I knew that, Lloyd Forger. I knew you were an upstanding man. And then Anya says, like, "Uh, in order to help the patients, he beats them up and, uh, like, restrains them. And he's like, Lloyd Forger? What? (laughs) Yeah, no, he's, he's hilarious. And, again, I do have the benefit of seeing his other... Uh, moments later on in uh, the manga, and I just have to say, it gets better and better. Henderson is really a great character, and he's such a good role model for all Eden students. Also, has the and best the best character design
3: with the, yeah, the double sided beard that, and the ponytail. It's the eleg- mustache. Oh yeah. man! All right. Well, um, my favorite character is also Yor. Uh, I, I mean, she's just uh, she's great she's wonderful i'll just leave it at that um and then my favorite scene as i mentioned before how, was, I mean, you can't just leave it at that uh, i will just leave it at that i mean like <laughs> they're like your 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 is just you know she's she's a badass she's funny when she's drunk she you know could you know just you know punch a hole straight through me or some shit like that There's a lot of different <laughs> ways to describe how uh how great she is so i'll just leave it at that um and then uh, my favorite scene, as I said, was um, the the final tennis match between her and Nightfall. And let me just speak about Nightfall for a minute. So, so when they introduced Fiona Frost as a character, it was immediately clear to me that this was the character that was you know purposely put in the story so that they could put in this um, this uh, this conflict between you know Yor and you know Fiona and. They really did kind of go overboard with it without, you know... As, as you just watching Nightfall's deadpan uh, face, she's like, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And she's <laughs> like, okay, I get it. You're, you're just thirsty right now. But um, they have, you know, obviously there's a lot to like about the dynamic that uh, Lloyd and Fiona have during the tennis match. And it is kind of like, it's a cool kind of like... Uh, I don't know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith or, like, Date Night kind of vibe where, you know, you have these two spies and they're just kind of, they're stumbling about but they are working together in that sense and it's fun to see them uh, work together uh, and succeed. Um, but, you know, I'm cheering for Yor the entire time and I don't want Yor to be dethroned for for that reason. So then you get to this scene and you know Fiona's going to ask for this tennis match because she has to. And you know Yor's going to be like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. Um, and, and it's just so unexpected how it looks like she misses the ball, and then it turns out she actually just destroyed the
0: ball. She, like, with hashed her. it. This <laughs> is Juliened this is, is
3: straight-up inhuman strength, by the way. Like, like you know, obviously we've seen her do-, do some crazy shit, like kick a car and cause it to, you know, crash into a light lamppost, but this is straight inhuman. I don't think that's even possible. And then she's like, oh, yes, I'll only use 5% of my power on this next serve. <laughs> and, and the fucking anima- the animation of this literal, like... This comet's trail behind this tennis ball as it impacts Fiona's racket is the fucking funniest shit I have ever seen in my life. Like, like this this was like a, this was a fucking shonen moment. This was Fiona, like, trying to return the serve and be like, I have the power, I can do it. I just have to power up a little more. I can do it. And then she, her, her racket breaks she's like, I have been defeated, but I will, it- I will have my revenge. It's wonderful.
0: It's like every Dragon Ball Z, Kamehameha clash where they're like, more power! I need to use all
1: of my power to deflect to this. The laws of physics in that universe bend only for one person, and her name is your forger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's
3: you know, obviously a callback to a lot of different styles of anime, and it's just, uh, it just made me laugh the hardest, and for that reason it is my favorite uh, scene.
2: So, I, I think that I have a little unorthodox choices for this. Um, let's start with my favorite character. My favorite character is actually Twilight, uh, Lloyd mm-hmm. Forger. Um, mm-hmm. Mainly because That's a great choice. he is somehow like an amazing father and also like a terrible father <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> he can somehow yes. be this simultaneously, and it's fascinating. Um, cause obviously, you know, we are, we, 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 can read his thoughts, right? So we, we know that his true purpose is that, you know, he needs to get Anya to be in Damien's good graces to be able to infiltrate, uh, the Desmonds. Um, and also he knows that he's only using your, because like, it'll give him like good camouflage, good cover. Right. But at the same time. We also see that he begins to, over the course of the season, genuinely care for both of them. And also, like, he knows how to... Like, it's, it's, it's one of those weird things where it's like he knows how to be a good father. And his mission is to be a good father. And so, he's really good at it. Because... He's good at everything he does. Yeah, he's right? good at everything. When, 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 also, during that tennis match when uh, Fiona or uh, uh, Nightfall was like, do you have any practice? like, oh, yeah, I tossed the ball around a bit yesterday. And he comes out and he's like, <laughs> ace the serve. And I'm like, oh, shit, right. Um, so good. So it's, it's one of those weird things. It's like he's a spy. Of course he's good at everything. That's what he's trained for. That's his job. But it's also so... Um, endearing to know that he is so good at a very genuine thing of being a good father slash partner wife husband. Yeah. Um. So that's why I really like Lloyd. Um. Especially because you can see over the course of the season he more and more laments about like, like you know after this the family is doesn't mean anything to me. But you can you can kind of sense that he is almost starting to not believe that.
0: Yeah, I, I love how at the very beginning Twilight's just like, how how do I interact with this child? And he like looks up all these parenting books, and he like still doesn't know what to do. But yeah, uh, the journey that he and Anya have together to like learning how to be a family, along with your, is the main selling
1: point for Spike's family. I like physically cannot wait for the moment that he realizes that it actually is a real family and like his own reason for wanting to be a spy and like prevent war and everything. Like it stops being about the pain in his past and starts being about the love in his future. It's going to be so fucking good.
2: <laughs> I hope it happens. Uh, I just... it fucking better. <laughs> um, and uh, segueing into my favorite scene my favorite scene, maybe unorthodoxly, is almost the final scene in this season. Episode 25, First Contact, Lloyd's conversation with uh, Donovan. Um, one, because they... Okay, you know, you're... <laughs> y'all you remember in Avatar The Last Airbender where oh, you don't see Fire Lord Ozai in the flesh until... like like a few episodes into the third season and when he talks he's like welcome home um that's like a, it's like a huge impactful thing because it's like oh this fire lord has been here or whatever we don't know how he talked and he talks like this i had a similar moment when donna when donovan came to the picture because his voice at least in the sub which were which i'm watching is so goddamn good like of course he's the chairman of the party like that's just how he sounds it's sick um And, in particular, his conversation with Lloyd is so fascinating on so many levels, where we get to see, like, the almost, um, Nodian perhaps, uh, methods that Lloyd uses to convince Donovan to, like, be amicable with him. Um, like, agreeing with him, but not so much that it feels like he's pandering, he, like, he is able to see the sort of flow of conversation and how things are going to go and how to get on Donovan's good side. He's like prepared the whole mission for this one moment. And he nails it. Um, and all of this in the context of like, the only reason that the conversation is happening to begin with is because Anya punched, punched Damien. Shout out to that scene. And also because Anya was able to get Damien to actually follow up and meet his dad again. So I was like, thank good job on Anya. Um, So, like, you know, all of these things had to come together, and then this moment is like, oh, this is finally what we're waiting for. is the first contact moment, and it was so satisfying.
0: Yeah, uh, so speaking about voices and great voices for the character, I do want to throw in my favorite voice into the ring, and that is, of course, in the Dodgeball episode with Bill Watkins. Oh, my God. The, The enormous, like... Just like a small man uh, of a kid. He's like just pure muscle, and he has this
1: deep adult voice. It was the funniest oh, thing. Oh, the dodgeball
2: episode, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah that,
1: that scene, that, yeah. that whole episode reminded me of the first episode of One Punch Man with like the 100-foot tall dude. <laughs> Shit, It's man! like the same thing except like scaled down to like kid
0: proportions. <laughs> yeah, and so- I think that's a good, good segue to talk a little bit about the... The humor and, um, the, the sort of like slice of life moments in Spy X Family, because, uh, I'd like to posit, uh, a, a question to everybody here in the podcast, because I, I want to know what you all think about the balance of the sort of like spy esque action that that we're very familiar with with James Bond movies and how it balances with the slice of life moments do you think the two complement each other do you think perhaps there's one too many of like slice of life moments or or if uh, one affects the other negatively because I think one of the main criticisms of this series especially as it keeps going on is the fact that there's a lot of potential for a lot of great storytelling moments. We have the setting of these like three people who don't know who each other is. Uh, we've got like a lot of secrets on the table that can be revealed over the course of the story in order for it to progress and to move on. But one of the main criticisms is the fact that things seem to be going towards more slice-of-life, episodic episodes, uh, and less about story progression, pushing the uh, mission of becoming close to Donovan Desmond uh, to the wayside in favor for more of these family-style moments. And so I wanted to know what you all thought about uh, that, especially in the first season. Uh, if If we're talking about my opinion, I do think that as the series goes on we're definitely going to see this in season two that there are a lot more slice of life moments than story moments and i do think it is a bit of missed potential but the story is still going on so there's still there's still potential for it to to um progress and to have that storyful moment that i want to happen but what are the what did the rest of y'all think
2: Um, so, I think that this, first of all, this season, you can obviously tell, it's split up into two sections, mainly by the, because the OPs change. Um, Before Bond and after Bond. (laughs) Exactly. Um, so... Doesn't the OP change right before Bond shows up Correct. That's the dog episode that changes, yeah. So, there's the before Bond stuff, and then the after Bond. Anyway, so, um... (laughs) I do think that this season kind of feels like two different parts. I think that the first part is a perfect ratio. um, Mainly because they're on-ramping all of these story threads. A.K.A. we have to get Anya. We have to get Yor. We have to meet Yuri. We have to figure out what's going on with getting the Stellas versus the... uh, the fucking demerits that I can't remember the name of um, Tronitus. Yeah, thank you. Um and also we had to introduce Damien and have Anya meet Damien and also Becky and stuff like that. So there's there's a there's there's a good sense of progression in the first half because we're on ramping to this stuff. And so they can do these things where they have slice of life moments while the plot goes forward. I think that the second season, this part the season, the second part of the season is um, after the first three episodes in which the dog happens, which are which are great episodes, and I think it's re- really well paced there. Um, the the season kind of do- starts getting into the sort of episodic, we're not really moving things forward, slice of life territory. And I know Iris like those episodes weren't on your list, and probably for good reason. But I did watch them, <laughs> and
1: I'm glad you did. No, honestly, I mean if if it had been. Few enough. If it had been a short enough season that I could have said watch the whole thing and not felt like I was giving y'all too much homework, I would have done that. Because I really think a lot of the heart of this show is in the Slice of Life episodes. That's
2: true. It's it is where the heart of the show is, but it's also like, I guess my interest was kind of uh, my expectations for where my interest would be wasn't in those sections. So I think that those episodes, while they are good, um, kind of felt underwhelming to me, um, in the sense that they kind of feel like they plateau the pace of the show which is not to say that they're bad of course because i I do think that they're great episodes um but it does kind of feel like that only when we get back into interacting with nightfall and then eventually getting ramped up to the to the end of the season um is when we kind of get back into the quote unquote flow of things but um that's kind of my thoughts on it and i i don't think that it, it it different parts of it appeal to different people so it's not like i'm saying any of this is like bad like bad in terms of structure but it was like something that didn't appeal to me as much as the other stuff did
1: yeah i will say that there definitely is a dichotomy with some of these scenes right i mean anya in school and you know it's like the dodgeball match and the art day and the career day you know and and making friends and chatting in the lunchroom and then it's you know, Twilight and I have to infiltrate this uh facility and shoot all these guys and now I'm staving off a terrorist attack using bombs strapped to dogs and it's very serious. But I do want to point out that it's not just those two things. It's not like we're flipping, you know, back and forth between these two radically different sort of languages, right? I mean, there are times when Twilight's spy exploits are also being told in this very humorous light. I think the best example of that is the tennis match, right? How Marcus was talking about the absurdity of, you know, underground, literally underground tennis match betting with, like, modded tennis rackets and... uh, Like, all these pitfalls built into the court and sniper rifles and they're just, like, going Super Saiyan with their tennis rackets and stuff. Like, it's ridiculous. But it's still in the context of the, the, you know, the play and counterplay, you know, cloak and dagger spy bullshit. I think there's a question about, you know, what is the what is the show really about? What's the main point of the show, right? Like, is this... You could ask, is this a spy show that has, you know, a lot of humor and, like, family stuff sort of surrounding it? Or is this a show about family that's told humorously that has this spy story as a framing element? And I would tend to say, as much as there is an answer to that question, I would tend to lean towards the latter. I feel like... This what's important to me when I'm watching this show is not so much, you know, whether um Project Strix, is it that that's the name of their operation? Op- operation Strix. Strix. Yeah. It, it, what matters to me, right? What I feel like the stakes of this show are are not so much whether or not Operation Strix succeeds or not, although that is important because it is what brings this family together. What I care about, what feels important to me is, is Lloyd and uh, yours relationship going to you know, become more real? Are they going to admit their feelings for each other? Are Lloyd and you're going to figure out how to be good parents both individually and together? Is Anya going to figure out how to bridge all these different things that she's trying to do? Like, it's the interpersonal stuff that to me feels like it really matters. And something that I, you know, It only kind of fits into the discussion, but it fits enough for me to feel like it, you know, it, it goes here. And I did want to make sure to mention this at some point. In the first OP, something I really loved was how it starts off with, you know, this little kid version, this very sort of abstract, almost like a child's drawing rendition of Anya, like, skipping through all these different scenes in her life. And they're taking a walk in the park with, with her parents, right? They're taking a walk in the park and they're going on a bus and they're in a restaurant and they're at a museum or whatever. And then halfway through the the song, we get to the, I, I don't know what you call it, the bridge or the the chorus. But the song gets more intense and and uh More energetic. And suddenly, you know, the animation style flips and we are in this, you know, the full realism of the show itself. And we're watching, you know, Lloyd and Yor do their, you know, sordid work, do their killing, do their infiltrating, do their spy and assassin shit. And it was this beautiful sort of juxtaposition of the world is viewed through the eyes of this child. Versus the world as it like actually is air quotes and I think that idea of playing with perspective and playing with how Seriously, we are taking these is something that the show does itself in its own presentation of these various events I've sort of gotten a little bit rambly here in all this all this to say I don't feel like the abundance of slice of life takes away from the show because to me that's what the show is about and I think that the serious stuff, the spy shit, like adds just enough of an edge, just enough of a, you know, like there's consequences here for the slice of life to be more meaningful because it's not just occurring in this, you know, fluffy, Oh, you know, nothing really matters. And we're all just kind of here doing our day in day out stuff. I I think it just makes everything else matter that much more that the slice of life stuff feels more engaging. That's what I'll say.
3: I think that's well put. And honestly, I think one of the things that kind of just hit me as you were, Going on your, uh, you, as you were speaking, was that? You no, know, going on my journey. You
1: can say it. It was. A, I said a lot of words. I didn't there. want to say <laughs> ramp, but it was a ramp um, No, no, it really was. Um, <sighs> Call me is out. that
3: if anything? They kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit having the, you know, primary conflict of the, you know, plot-relevant part of the story be something that feels like it should be time-sensitive, you know? Like it should be something that people are more worried about, you know, oh, there's this imminent war and there's tension everywhere, you know, each particular move where, you know, someone gets assassinated or a car gets run off the road or something like that is, like, a big deal. But, you know, we jump out of that so often in this show that it feels like when they do come back to it, you're like... Oh yeah, that's right. We are still in the middle of literal wartime, right? Like that that's kind of one of that's kind of one of my only issues with the show is that if anything, if they just chose a different conflict maybe and you know, obviously they would have to restructure the show in that case, maybe they would have, you know, been able to lend themselves more to that hybrid style that they've gone through where there is slices there's clear slices of life and there's also clear, you know, plot development episodes. And you know, to that end, one of the I I will bring up Kill a Kill again because I think Kill a Kill mastered this. They they were able to make every one of their episodes plot relevant in some way, but keep kept their humor at such a high level high level. Right, like this show sometimes feels like it has to rely on its uh, not plot relevant um, slice of life episodes to bring more humor into it, um, and. It you know to its credit the tennis match is a great example of another you know, of an episode where the, the complete opposite is true. This is a plot relevant you know plot advancing set of episodes which is also really fucking funny. Um, and so it, you know I don't I don't fault the show for having quote unquote filler because it, it is filler and I think it's pretty clear that it is filler. Um, if anything you know I would rather have that than the show kind of goes by too quickly and you're like oh but I wanted more you know I wanted to see more of the family dynamic. Um, but it is one of those things that I personally have to, you know, f- in my own philosophy, be like, okay, I have to kind of separate this part a little bit from the rest of the show. I have to understand that this is a slice of life. I can just kind of sit back, turn my brain off a little bit, laugh at the jokes, but not really focus too much on what I know is the true conflict of the show going on right now.
2: Yeah, I wanted to quickly talk on two things. One, your comment about the sort of Cold War situation. I think that the Cold War setting is both uh the the anime takes that setting to its benefit and to its detriment in kind of different ways its benefit is that it adds this backdrop that allows the characters to um kind of represent the cold war itself the fact that the characters don't openly share their own true identities and what they what they truly are Right, everyone is hiding something. Right, even the freaking dog is hiding something. Um, <laughs> right, like his, her, Yuri's brother is secret service, but she doesn't know that Lloyd figured it out. But Yuri doesn't know that Lloyd figured it out. So this whole dynamic there, and obviously the whole funny part is that Anya knows everything, um, and so that in and of itself is amplified by the Cold War setting—a uh, setting of duplicity and secrecy. Right. However, I think you're right, in the sense that um, a lot of sort of Cold War imagery is very, very tense, and so it does feel like there are some moments where, where, like, the handler is like, "Yeah, we always knew that Operation Strix was like gonna take a while," and we were like, "Yeah, but like, are, isn't there a a war that's supposed to happen apparently soon? Like, the whole thing is that Donovan is like planning to go to war, so." How do how, We need to stop that, right? So we should probably get a move on. They thought that Anya would get eight stars in four months. Are you serious? Um, <laughs> that's not happening. Um, yeah, God, no. Um, so I think that it's to its benefit and to its detriment. I don't really mind the detriment so much. The benefit, though, is really, really strong. The second thing I wanted to add was your talk about Slice of Life, because you're correct. Um, I think that if you go into this anime being like, it's a Slice of Life anime, but with a really cool setting and this really cool background plot that's going on, then I think it's phenomenal. However, if your expectation going in was like, there's this cool spy thing going on, and there's this unorthodox method in which the spy has to actually be a good family man in order to get things done, then I do think that the Slice of Life episodes kind of take away from that perspective in the sense that, like, okay, are we we going on? Like, what's happening here? So that's what I'll say about that.
1: And I will clarify that is actually kind of what I expected going in, you know, based off of the very brief summary that I Alex think that's gave how me. the show tries to advertise itself too, as well. Yeah, but I mean, I think this is more me thing than anything else. I am a sucker for things that are adorable and and mushy and sentimental. <laughs> I won't complain. Yeah,
0: Same. yeah. I mean, I can't talk about um, my some of the things that I I want to discuss and some of my issues with it without getting into spoilers. But I will say this. I think that this show has shown us that it can uh, balance both the slice of life moments, like the, the family drama and the family building moments, with the espionage and spy action moments. I mean, take the very first episode that uh, is in SpyX Family. We've got Anya um, getting closer to Lloyd. And learning Lloyd's dream about having like not uh, kids, uh, not crying anymore because of the war, and we have this like really good uh, moment where she like snuggles up to him and like is feeling safe with this newfound father figure. In addition to learning more about the war itself, what's going on behind the scenes, what Lloyd is doing as well, and so I think that there is definitely opportunity for to proverbially, have uh, for the show to have its cake and eat it too. I mean, take the Tennis Racket uh, uh, episodes, for example. I-, I think my main gripe with the show is that after a lot of these missions, nothing really changes or comes out of it at the end. Um, because with the Tennis Racket episode, their whole mission is to get this person's, like, Supposedly super secret information that would help the war effort, Uh, but it turns out he's, like, been keeping creepy photos of uh, models or whatever, Uh, and so, I mean, like, it could be, like, a very easy change that having that great episode and that, like, hilarious moment between Yor and uh, Nightfall... And then ending it on like a revelation that these documents were actually important, that like pushed the plot forward a little bit. Uh, I think I think the it's it's a bit of a missed opportunity um, in that department at least. I think what what I will say on that
3: particular uh, ending of that I guess quote unquote arc is that um, in a way I think they were trying to kind of push the message of like. Oh, you know, it turned out to just be a family dispute, and hey, this show is all about family, so we can definitely relate this in some way to, like, you know, how the current family, you know, the main family is going through their struggles, and so I think that's what their point was, but I agree, I think, you know, I did say that the tennis episode pushed the plot forward in the grand scheme of things, it did not Um, but Alex, what I, what I did want to say is that, you know, you were beating around the bush a little bit. The show has set itself up for, you know, its twists that are coming in later seasons and for, you know, the big moments that we know are going to be coming. And in that regard, like, the show just wants to take a slower burn approach and we'll put in filler, uh, to kind of pad that time. And I can't fault them for it. You know, Michael, you mentioned it. I also agree. I love all of the, you know, all of the filler that's in there. It's funny. And while we're not getting too much character development... Uh, they're relying on their humor and their fun little, you know, their, their, uh, their foundation, I guess, to, you know, put out really good episodes. And I think as long as it keeps doing that, it's going to be, continue to be a great show and a show that I enjoy, but uh, it definitely does. It's, it's different and it's, I guess, maybe marketed in such a way that it's, to the current audience, as opposed to when people wanted to see all of their plot go through and stuff, uh, or people wanted to have a beginning,
1: middle and end come out really fast. Uh, not like it is now. Yeah. I'll repeat my position that I think the filler really is the, the slice of life really is the heart of the show. Right. And, Calling it the point of the show is, I think, a a bridge too far. But it really is where, I think, the the soul of what we're, we're watching rests. That being said, if we get to you know, the end of season three or the end of the show or whatever, you know, arbitrary future point. If we get there and they haven't had any significant, you know, twists, any significant shakeups to the status quo, because I do agree with you, Alex, that the way things just kind of, after a certain point, start returning to the same spot constantly, not precisely the same spot, but, you know, with very minor changes. If we get to a certain point and there's not been major changes to the status quo, if we get to a certain point and they haven't had to fight For what they've built, what they have, you know, what they have created for themselves and seem not to realize yet, this, you know, loving family and loving home, then I will be disappointed. I guess the difference between my perspective and yours is that, and this obviously, you know, like you have the advantage of, you know, seeing further into the future with the narrative. I guess the difference between my perspective and yours is that I am not yet of the opinion that they have really significantly missed opportunities but i think if it continues the way it does and it sounds like it might then there i will be more on that train you know, because uh, I mentioned earlier, right? This whole thing about they better have this moment where everything comes to, you know, like something, you know, uh, climactic happens, and they have to reveal their actual abilities, and you know, uh, they're gonna—you're a spy, you're an assassin—and they're gonna have to, you know, band together and get over their, you know, mistrust of suddenly one another, and remind themselves, hey, this is my husband, this is my wife, I, I love them, and we have a real family, and this love is real, and it's not just about the mission, it's not just about, you know. What I was saying earlier, this this scene that I imagine in my head, right, not that it has to happen exactly that way, but something has to happen eventually. Because as I said, it is the stakes, it is the realness of the the undercurrent of what's going on here that gives the slice of life its meaning, that makes it actually worth something. Even if there's not consequences in any single arc, any single episode, there's consequences over the course of the narrative. And that's what gives it weight. So... I think we'll have to wait and see, and I hope I'm not disappointed. But it's possible I may agree with you mm-hmm. to an extent.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I think I I have been speaking a little bit from my perspective uh, on my gripes with this show, but I I do think that from the this perspective of um, just watching season one, yeah, uh, it's it's definitely not not. Too much of a too much of a consideration in the grand scheme of things, as we said, we have like a good balance of uh, storyful and slice of life moments in this first season. But I think that is something we will have to see as uh, the season continues. And before we end our discussion about Spy X Family, I do want to get your opinions on the quote unquote uh, antagonists. I labeled this antagonists, not villains, because. That's the thing about this uh, show. No one's, like, specifically evil for evil's sake. We don't have, like, traditional villains, which kind of makes sense in this Cold War-esque setting that uh, the author has built for us. Everybody has their own motivations. I mean, how even people on uh, Twilight's side have their own motivations. We got um, Twilight and, like, Frankie. Not exactly the most scrupulous guy, but... Um, but yeah, what did you all think about the antagonists that we have in uh, the show? I think I'm like specifically thinking about Yuri Nightfall. We talked a little bit about Desmond. Uh, and we can throw in the, the dog terrorists too. I, I love to. that you put dog, dog terrorists. <laughs> I mean, that's what they are. They don't yeah. really have a... I
3: mean, you they could just name? call him Keith. <laughs> <laughs> Keith.
0: Keith.
1: Um. What about all the other henchmen, though? Right, they're important. Chris, Kyle. They all started with a hard <laughs> C. That was the one
3: thing that that linked them all together. I was funny. like, okay, okay,
2: sure. Um, so yeah, as Alex, as you said, the, the they're not necessarily villains. They're more like, um, they're blockers, right? Um, I'll talk. I'll touch on Yuri. I think because Yuri is fascinating to me. When um, uh, I love the fact that we don't see Yuri for like the first. I don't know how many episodes like I want to say like 7 or 8. Um but a substantial portion, right? We only hear of Yuri from your and her talking about him. Um and you know, when we do eventually meet Yuri, he's like uh okay, so right. So I I believe the way that the introduction opens up is that uh he's he is part of the secret service, right? We we figure that out, but also you know, he presents himself as the sort of good cop at the beginning. He's like, "Oh yeah, you know, we have these things," and oh, here's your photo. So I'm so sorry, you'll have to cooperate with this now. And then he becomes absolutely monstrous, and it was just so cool. Um, I really like Yuri as a character. One because he, uh, he is able to foil, uh, Twilight so well, um, in the sense that like. They're not exactly, but they're kind of on opposite sides. Actually, I think that is true because Lloyd is from West Ellis, right? Like foil, yeah. as in be a character
1: yeah. foil. Foil, like not as in like mess up his plans. Yes, but
2: also I think that Twilight is from West Ellis. Am I wrong? Yes, like, he is. Because yeah. Wise is yeah. not West Ellis. so technically they are they are, right, they are diametrically, diametrically, yeah, yeah, diametrically opposed. But anyway, anyway, um, so they are enemies in that sense. But the way that the show portrays their eni- their uh, their uh, antagonism is because they both care for Yor. Um, And so it's just a really cool expression of antagonism through family dynamics rather than the actual true antagonism um, that, again, is as a result of the sort of duplicitous secret identities that both of them share or hold. Um, And so it's really cool how that comes out. Um, I especially like the fact that Yuri, the reason that Yuri is so smart and so strong and perseverance is because he's had to deal with Yor his entire sorry Yor his entire life. Um, like he'll eat anything and he'll he'll make it, and he's so smart because he had to, um, teach Yor about things. And anyway, I really like that because uh, it's it was it's both funny and also it makes uh Yuri a real threat. So that's what I'll say on Yuri at least.
1: The one thing I'll say about Yuri is that I love how clear it is that he is yours brother. They both have, you know, the likable and unassuming sort of exterior. The 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 first impression. Uh, when they get to work, they are fucking terrifying, and you know, when when their eyes actually get to start yeah, be right. start be drawn like all sharp and narrow and glaring, and they fucking you know either murder or brutalize people depending on their roles and then you know and this is, but then they turn around and they're like the most bumbling you know lovable idiots everywhere and they can't hold their liquor and they wouldn't know a good meal if it bit them in the butt and it's just adorable they're so cute as a as a sibling relationship and we really only
3: got like the one interaction between yuri and um and twilight in the in, in the entire season first season so we know another one is coming and well i'm assuming that there will be a little bit more weight Behind it, the next time we see them meet, because I think I think they have set them up to be those, you know, both kind of spies on the, you know, red spy versus blue spy, if you will, kind of deal. So, <laughs> um, and then I, I also like how they've they basically introduced your like Yuri's single character flaw just off the bat it's like anything that has to deal with your, he's a complete idiot he he doesn't you know he completely drops his act you know he'll give up any secrets he has if they're if they're somewhat related to your. so you know that that's going to come into play too which i think is a cool way to kind of establish that character um as far as i am going to talk a little bit about the dog terrorist because i think i think keith put some respect on his name um <laughs> i think i think that there there was actually some Really, like, really, like, literal spy shit. Like, that was, I felt like that was when the show kind of leaned the hardest into its kind of spy background and stuff. You know, this is a guy who, uh, you know, is kind of just like a guerrilla fighter just a an extremist who was converted because you know he lives in this country and is like i fucking hate it here and i want to i want something to change so he goes out and he has this idea he grabs his band of college students and they go out and they strap bombs to dogs and he gets foiled but he he really pushes it to the very end and he you know it was also a very big moment for twilight in terms of his triumph you know he completely outwitted him in the, in the last couple scenes and uh really got him good and of course you're kicking his car and causing him to have an accident was that was some shit um so yeah the, <laughs> that was just uh everything about i think everything about those that stretch of three episodes you know with anya and and bond uh was arguably the series's strongest kind of point
0: i will say handlers um speech to the dog terrorists was is like one of the more compelling yeah, speeches in this pretty, entire series about like heavy, the yeah. horrors of war and how wh- why you're not supposed to like be wanting a war in the first place like do you even know what you're doing yeah well to cap off of this episode um i think since we do have a second season and a couple of, and an original uh movie Coming up, I think it's time to do a theory corner.
2: Oh, this wasn't on the schedule. Yeah, was... I know. Wait a second, if... aren't I supposed
1: to be bringing the theory corners? <laughs> well, that's true. Wall. Do you have it's some theories? Wall? For we, we
3: have we have a different
1: kind of corner. It's we have a wall for the theories. Yeah, sorry, Alex. <laughs> it's well, our I mean, theory it, wall. I don't have anything prepared because I always forget that that's a thing that I can do when I bring episodes. But if you had prompted me like an hour ago, I could have come up with something pretty mm-hmm. good.
0: Well, I think I, since I'm the only one who knows the story uh, continuing on, I am uniquely positioned to <sighs> yeah, do this theory yeah, makes wall. Sense. Um, so let us um, go from top to bottom in this Discord call. And let's start with Marcus. Um, time where I get to start. So, Marcus, your theory, uh, funnily enough, has to do with your. So. <laughs> <best girl. laughs> so, Simp. this theory states that at some point in the future, yours assassination organization will give your the mission to assassinate Twilight. Oh, shit. I can see this certainly being a popular theory. The, uh,
3: if anything, I would, I I don't know if you guys noticed, but the the second OP features Yor a lot, which kind of almost set me off. I was like, are we just getting a more Yor focused season or season, or I guess half of season? And that wasn't, that didn't end up being the case. But I do feel like they are going to fold Yor's Assassin Syndicate uh, a little bit more into the story later on. It's honestly kind of weird that they haven't done it yet. Uh, Since the other, you know, since Twilight's whole wise thing is so prominent, um, I think it's easy to say that it's going to be your uh, trying to assassinate Twilight. I don't think they're actually going to do that, though. Or I don't think they would. I don't think they would take such an easy bait. Is is Mm -hmm. the way that I'll put it? Because I think that you could make a lot more compelling arguments to have your perhaps go target Yuri or something, or have your target um anya (laughs) no
2: (laughs) no
1: (laughs) do not tear away my family like that do not darken our doorstep with such things i mean anya
0: did get her power from somewhere that is a powerful weapon or even even i would
1: believe like the organization first before like anya herself
3: or even you're just targeting like Nightfall, or some different other spy that's not, you know, the one that's directly her husband. Because I think that's too easy, to be completely honest. Um, and I think that uh, when you have you're targeting someone that Twilight knows, but you know, Twilight obviously has to, like, Twilight obviously still has to reconcile the fact that you know her his wife is an assassin and that maybe he's maybe he's privy to that, maybe he's not at the time of this, you know, at this request, but. Uh, you can still have that conflict occur without the target being him. So I think Mm -hmm. they can use that as a way to... Interesting. Make things more interesting.
0: Interesting. So Marcus has said, Yor will not be told to assassinate Twilight, but someone close to him.
3: Sure, sure.
0: All right. Uh, So next up is Iris. So this is a fan theory that has been going on for quite a while. Um, Your theory is that... Yuri and Nightfall. By the end of the season oh, will get together. Oh,
2: I had I literally had that thought and I was like, no. <laughs> Absolutely
1: not. Absolutely not. No. I think that the circumstances preventing them is are just too too large. Like Regardless of whether or not Nightfall could put aside her feelings for Twilight, the whole thing about, like, them being on opposite sides of this conflict, the fact that there's no way I see Nightfall ever having, like, a personal life, period, or Yuri, for that matter, a personal life that doesn't, like, revolve around his sister, I, I, I there's just too many circumstances that make me say absolutely not. I think this is a dumb theory. If I or may
2: interject... Ships. And that is exactly why they would do it.
1: <laughs> no, 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 stop. You have been saying cursed things like all episode, man. You gotta you gotta not. My answer is firmly no. Alright. That is a hard no from. As I was... far
3: as far as I'm concerned, the only plot point relevant to Nightfall now is her revenge match against Yor. Because <laughs> oh my that's God. the only way she gets back I into hope, the, That's the only way she I gets back into this. God.
0: This I will say we do have some Nice uh, nightfall moments to look forward to. Spoilers! All right. Um, And, Michael, your theory is that when the secrets of this family are eventually revealed, the family will fall apart for uh, who can say how long. Um, But there will be a moment in the story where... The three uh, main characters Anya, Twilight, and Yor will separate from each other either voluntarily or involuntarily
2: I can believe that um, I think that what most likely will happen is like perhaps the, the, re- the revelation will come and then their separation will kind of be involuntary in that sense and so each of them will be forced to take time apart from each other to consider what they've been through and, and the sort of lies that they've been through and and then i imagine that after they've been apart for so long they would eventually get back together and actually decide to truly you know weather the hardships and and actually stay together as well so i do agree with you in the sense that i think that there will be times a time when they've learned about their secrets and will also be forced apart so yes i agree
0: all right so we've got uh no from marcus uh, no from iris and a yes from michael so we will be checking back in with our next spikes family episode whenever that may be see you in uh, but,
3: 2025
1: i guess i guess yeah honestly nothing would make me happier than to get to talk about this show again yeah. on this podcast i mean they are both both the second
0: season and a uh, movie are coming out later this year so look forward to six it. seasons and a movie that's the formula <laughs> Alright, well that'll do it for us folks. Thank you so much for listening. This week's YouTube video that you can watch is called Agent 327 Operation Barbershop. Thought it was very thematic. Have to do with spies. And next week, we are tackling JoJo's Part 5 Golden Wind. So please look forward to that. And also, please email us at bestseatpodcast at gmail.com if you have a show suggestion or just want to tell us about your own favorite moments and characters for a particular show we've covered. And thank you once again to Ben for our intro and outro theme. You can check out his own podcast, Real Beasts, on Spotify. And once again, thank you so much for listening. And you will hear from us next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye, everyone.